You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org. You know, some of you are so grateful that we're singing Christmas music. Some of you cannot wait till we stop singing Christmas music. There's like, you know, like two camps, like, love it, I hate it. And you know, I've noticed, like, when you think about Christmas, just this whole season, there's really kind of three groups of people that I've noticed. There are those who love Christmas, there are those who hate Christmas, and there are those who tolerate Christmas. And uh, your friends know which one you are. You might not know, but your friends know which one you are. So there's some of us that just love Christmas. Like, you, you absolutely Love it. Like you're the one who already plays Christmas music before Thanksgiving when all of your coworkers and family say you can't. You're like, I can do whatever I want. I sing Christmas music. And you just love it. Your, your house, Hallmark's always on. The tree's up before anybody else's. Um, you know, you've put lights all over the house. You've already went to the inflatables now. You're already thinking about when is Walmart going to go on sale because I'm going to buy more lights for next year. Like you just can't, you're already thinking about next year's Christmas. Like you just cannot, everywhere you go, you're wishing people Merry Christmas. And they're like, it's like December 2nd. Like, I might not see you. Merry Christmas. And you just, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You give cookies, you bake stuff. You love Christmas. And then there's some of you that you just hate Christmas. Not that you like hate Jesus being born, but you just hate Christmas. You hate the whole celebration. You, you think it's just, it's commercialized. It's all about money. It's just, it's, it's a useless celebration that our culture's made. Um, and you think, you know, Jesus was probably born in the spring. Why are we even celebrating Jesus' birth right now? You've got all these conspiracies. It's spelled Santa backwards. You know what it's spelled. Like you just, you're, you're like, <laughs> everywhere you go, you're just like, let me tell you the truth. It's like conspiracy. This is what's really happening. You, do, you don't like it at all. You're telling your wife, oh, should we just never open any presents? We're not going to give kids anything. If we do, it's like going to be feeding a goat in another country or something. That's going to be our presents to everybody. You're just revolting on the whole Christmas. And you're like, we should, every, every Sunday should be a celebration about, you know, the resurrection. Who, who cares about this whole Christmas season? You just don't like it. And you can't wait to get through it. And there's others of you who just tolerate it. You're like, ah, it is what it is. It's Christmas. I'll wrap some presents. I'll show up at grandma's house. We'll eat some food. But I could kind of take it or leave it. So you probably find yourself in one of those categories, right? If you're sitting beside someone that has a Christmas sweater on, you know where they're at, right? If you're getting dirty looks for your Christmas sweater, you know where they're at. So just we sort of know like these groups that we have. But here's what I want. No matter which group you're in, if you love it, hate it, or tolerate it. I want us to walk through Luke chapter 1, and I want all of us, let's take just the season out of of the question. Let's all marvel for a moment, and let's all read through. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to just wonder. Like that sense of like, how can this be? How did this happen? How is it really true that God became a man? Like, I want us to wonder at the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And here's what I hope it leads you to. No matter where you are in that camp, I pray that this week you will just have a week of wonder. That you will just wonder at the incarnation of Christ. And you will worship the Lord this week, thankful for what he did. I want to just read the definition of wonder, in case you don't know what it means to wonder. Here's what, here's what it, it, it means to wonder. It's a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration. 
I love that. It's like surprise and worship. Like, wait, could this be? So you're both surprised and you're admiring what has happened. So we're going to get this kind of this surprise and worship is this feeling that we should have. And it's caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, and inexplicable. So like, like you can't even explain it. You're not even sure. You know what it is, but, but it's this beautiful surprise thing that you can't get over. You can't understand fully, but you're just like, ah, and you just worship. Like that's what I want us to feel all the way through Luke chapter one. And the next week, come back and we're gonna, in Luke chapter two, see the birth of Christ. And I want us just to, just to wonder at this miracle that happened God became a man to save you from your sins. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read one verse in our standing, and then we're going to walk through Luke chapter 1. So if you stand out of reverence for the Word of God, we're going to look in verse 35 of chapter 1. This is an angel speaking to Mary. It says this, The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Father, I pray that you would help us to just behold, to wonder, to be amazed at this baby who is holy, who is the son of God. Let us not see this as a familiar story we're all used to. Let us be frightened. Let us be excited. Let us worship you. As we read through this story, pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So again, the birth narrative is very familiar to us. We've probably read it. You're probably going to read it as you open Christmas presents. And sometimes because we're familiar, we sort of yawn. But don't let your familiarness to the story cause you to yawn. Let it cause you to that mingling of surprise and admiration that you're just so You can't get over what God has done for you in this birth narrative. So what we're going to see is the first thing, this birth story starts with an anti-birth story. In the anti-birth story, there are two people named Zachariah and Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is barren. She can't have a child. So we're going to have this birth story is going to start with an anti-birth story. So the first wonder that we're going to have is this. A barren woman is going to give birth to a son. That should cause us to wonder a little bit. And we're going to see why that is true. So if you have your Bibles laid open, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we're going to kind of set it up. Here's what we see. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, so we have, so we have a time stamp. It's in the, in the days of Herod, a king of Judea. So this is not like a myth or fable. This is rooted in real History. This is Herod the Great. He was a very famous ruler. He was given uh, the title as um, the king by the Romans. So he, he's this ruler over Jerusalem um, or over Judea, given uh, authority by um, the Romans. And he's building a lot of stuff. He rebuilds the temple. Herod the Great. Um, he was not a very great guy. He's said to have like murdered some of his wives, and so he's got some problems. But here's who we find. And there's also there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before the Lord, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. 
So we have this, there's, there's a king, there's a priest. We're going to be at a temple in just a moment. So we have this kind of biblical imagery building. And you have this priest named Zechariah, and he's got a wife. And the Bible says they're, they're a righteous people. In other words, they are, they are following the Lord. They're obeying his commandments. When they mess up, they're making sacrifices. They're doing the, the right things before the Lord. And then it says, but Elizabeth is barren. And we know she's not barren because of some sin or some cursing. No, because she's righteous. She's, uh, she's walking humbly before the Lord. So it, it's not anything that's like uh, something because she's done anything wrong. She's just barren. And it says she is advanced in years. So we start with this priest. It's going to be by a temple. We have sort of a king over. And we see that they're older couple and Elizabeth can't have a baby. And it sort of brings us back to uh, Old Testament stories, right? We have Abraham and Sarah. They're advanced in years. Sarah can't give birth. Though there's a promise that she will have a baby. And, but she can't because she's barren. And we see women throughout the Bible who are barren. Think about Rachel, who was barren. Samson's mom was barren. And somebody has pointed out that anytime you see a barren woman in the Bible, just wait. Because God's about to do something. Like, if there's a barren woman mentioned in Scripture, like, just hold on. Remember her name. Something is about to happen. Hannah was barren, right, as Samuel. So when you see a barren woman, something is about to happen. So the plot has been set up. But just notice where we are in the storyline of Scripture. We are in Luke's gospel. We are in right before Jesus' birth. So what we have, if you go to Malachi, that's the last time that God has spoken by a prophet. So we've had 400 years of silence. So we've had 400 years. God's people have been going to the temple. They've been obeying the commandments. They've been trying to walk with the Lord. But God has not spoken to them. He's not showed up with a prophet. And they've got all these promises in the Old Testament that God is going to send a redeemer. A king is coming. Someone is coming. And they've been waiting for 400 years, generation after generation. They've told their kids the stories, and they've died. They've told their kids the promises, and they've died. Those kids told their kids the promises, and they've died. So it's 400 years of God not speaking, and now we find that a priest has a wife, and the wife can't give birth because she's barren, and they're both old. They're both past the time of childbearing. So that's kind of the plot. We're sort of setting it up. And if you have your Bibles, if you look in verse 8, 8 through 17, what we find, we'll just summarize, is we have Zechariah. Part of his priestly duty, he comes with all of his boys and they draw lots of who's going to go into the temple. So he gets, his lot is drawn. He gets to go into the temple and light the altar of incense. So he walks in. This has been like a great moment. Like he finally gets to do it. He's walking in. He's going to light. He lights the altar of incense. And he has this moment where he's offering prayers. All of his boys are outside offering prayers. There's this prayer that's happening. And then all of a sudden, in this space, an angel shows up on the right side of the altar of incense. And the angel says, behold, your prayers have been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear a son. And so, so you have this moment of, which we can presume he was praying uh, for Israel, probably praying for redemption, praying for the God promises, and then also like, and God, could you give us a could you give us a baby because my wife is, she's still bearing, no one praying for this. This is a moment to pray like in the temple. And the angel shows up and says, your prayers 
have been answered. Your wife is going to give birth. So the first thing we should kind of just behold is a, a, a barren woman who can't have kids is going to give birth. This is going to be an intervention of God in this couple's life. And what we see next is Zechariah doesn't show faith but instead he doubts. So if you go to verse 18 through 25, we're gonna see he doubts, he's cursed, and then Elizabeth uh, conceives a child. So the angel says this, hey, your prayers are answered. Your wife is gonna have a little boy. His name is going to be John. Has this revelation. Remember, God hasn't spoken 400 years. Angel shows up and gives revelation to Zechariah, the priest in the temple. I mean, this is like a moment of all moments. Like he's heard stories, but he's never encountered something quite like this. And what we see is in verse 18, Zachariah's response to this angel is, how can this be? Um, How's this? No, this can't happen because my wife is barren and we're both pretty old. Like his response to this revelation is, no, this no, that would be impossible. Can't, can't happen. She's barren and we're old. And you want to just take a moment and be like, Zechariah, you're a priest, right? Like you've read the Older Testament, right? Like you know how things work, right? Like when God shows up and says something to a barren woman, like God can do miracles. But Zechariah in this moment, and by the way, he's been praying for a baby. And it's like, hey, you got your prayer answered. Uh, I was just praying that. I didn't expect you to answer it. Like, hold on, wait. And like, isn't that like us sometimes? We pray for things and we get answers. We're like, oh, that can't be. Can't be God. Has to be something else. Well, you prayed for it and God answers prayer. So maybe it was God. But here you have an angel on the side of the altar. He's praying, hey, I'm answering your prayer. Actually, God's answering your prayers. Uh, and here's the answer. You're going to have, your wife's going to have a baby boy. And you know what? Zachariah says, how can this be? How, how do we know it? And I love Gabriel's response. If you look down after verse 18, you know what Gabriel says? I am Gabriel. That's his response. Like, how do I know this is going to be true? Gabriel's like, "Um, I'm Gabriel. I'm an angel sent from the Lord. How many times this happened to you, Zachariah? Like, did this happen last week when you were, like, did an angel show up and be like, hey, here's what the weather's going to be like. Oh, yeah, hey, angel. I'm Gabriel. I'm an angel from the Lord. It's been 400 years. I'm showing up to you in the temple to answer your prayer. And you're asking, are you sure? Like this should have gave it away. Angel who you're afraid of because I can kill like all of you. Like being from heaven, this is your clue. This is how. I'm an angel from God, and I'm saying it's going to happen. So you know what you should have said? Oh, I've never seen an angel before, so I'm going to go ahead and take the angel's um, word and believe what God has just said. But Zachariah's like, I'm not sure. Angel, I don't know. And so because he disbelieves, he's actually cursed. The angel says, well, because you didn't believe me, though I'm Gabriel, hello, you're not going to be able to hear or talk for until the baby is born. And so he's cursed, walks out, can't talk, <laughs> presumably can't hear because I have to like get his attention a lot. And so everybody knows like something happened in the temple. He saw a vision. He saw something. So there's this murmuring around the temple, like something happened. We're not sure what it is because boy can't talk about it. But then he goes home. And what scripture says is that his wife becomes pregnant. 
And for five months, she goes and she sort of hides out. I think she hides out because it's, it's so overwhelming. It's so wonderful. It's so marvelous. It's so unexplainable. It's so extraordinary. It's such a miracle that, that she can't quite go into public yet and be like, hey, I'm pregnant. Okay, grandma, that's cool. How'd, how'd that happen? Like, I, I, are you sure? Yep, watch my baby bump. Like, okay, this is weird. So she goes and she, she, she's so overwhelmed. And we should just, for a moment, just wonder. Like that mingle of surprise and admiration. Surprise and worship of a God who can take a barren womb and bring life as part of his redemptive story. And so here we see this, this wonder that we find a Barren woman is going to give birth to a son, but then we see a greater wonder. And here's the greater wonder proclaimed a virgin will give birth to a son. So I love how Luke's telling the story. Like, hey, I know you guys just like were like, what? When I told you a barren woman who's old, grandma, is going to give birth to a son, you said, what? Now, I'm going to tell you, a virgin is going to give birth to a son. There is a greater wonder that is happening through the virgin birth. So if you look down with me in verse 26, here's what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So here we find, okay, the story's going to pick back up. Gabriel's going to visit another place, and he goes to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, when we hear Nazareth, we think, oh, of course, that's where, like, Jesus' parents were from. We, we know Nazareth. We're familiar with that. But the people hearing this story, when you said an angel's going to leave God and come to Nazareth, they would have been like, where? Where's that at? They would have picked out their iPhone and put in maps, Nazareth. And then when it showed the coordinates, it'd be like, are you sure? Okay, let's satellite image this. Let's pull it up. It looks like there's like a gas station and like two houses. I think they got the wrong address. Like, did you say Nashville or did you say Nazareth? Because it doesn't sound like the right place. Like it'd be somebody in Nashville living right now and they get this news that an angel shows up on the planet and goes to Harden. And they're like, where? Hard. It's, it's in Kentucky. And they put it in. They zoom in. They're like, this place? Are you sure not like by the mall or somewhere close to Nashville or New York or L.A.? Like, you know, Prince of Bel-Air. No, this is going to be the Prince of Nazareth. Like, this, this is where he's going to be. There's going to be a king born in Nazareth. This would have been like a little tiny town of nobody that nobody goes to. You only make it there if you get lost and you ask for directions and you leave and go somewhere else. This is Nazareth. But the angel who's Gabriel is going to leave God and head to this town of Nazareth. And here's what it says in verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So he goes to this certain house, and he goes to a certain woman who's betrothed to a certain man. So this woman's named Mary, and just in like one verse, we've heard twice that she's a virgin. So that's a really important thing that the angel wants us to know, that God wants us to know that Mary was a virgin, and she is betrothed to her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. It was like an engagement, but a little bit stricter because they were actually like, it was a legally binding agreement. 
So like if you get engaged to somebody, you can break it off pretty easily. It's just the awkward, like, do I give you the ring back or do I keep it? Not sure. We're just going to settle that. That's pretty all the things. Well, if you uh, are betrothed to somebody, you actually have to divorce them to break it off. So this means that they were like committed to one another, but they hadn't had the honeymoon yet. So she's still a virgin and they haven't came together yet. And so you have Mary and you have Joseph, but Joseph is of the house of David. So as a reader or a hearer of this account, David, we know who David is. He was uh, that king of Israel, but not just a king of Israel, that king that was after God's own heart and that king who has promises. And the promise is that you will have a son from your line, King David, who will be a forever king. So now we have Joseph in that kingly line who is betrothed to a woman named Mary. And here's what we see in the details. So right now we know that she is a virgin. Then we get some more information. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of a greeting this might be. So we have the angel comes to her, O favored one. That means, O graced one. The Lord is showing you grace. He is with you. And she does the same thing Zechariah does. She is terrified. That whenever you see angels show up in the Bible, people are never like, oh, you're cute. They're like, oh, you could kill me. What's going to happen? Do I, is this, am I dying? What's happening? Like she is terrified. We should think about her in absolute terror and horror. She's about to scream. Like imagine if like during your quiet time, you like said your prayers, you read your verse, and then when you open your eyes, an angel is before you. Got a message. You're like, ah, get away. Like that's what we do when we see angels. We run, we are afraid, we are scared. And the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, that word favor, it's grace. It's not that like she's, she's been better than all women and she did better than all women. No, the Lord has given her grace, just like he gave Noah grace. Noah wasn't better than anybody else. No, God gave Noah grace. He's given Mary grace. He is gonna use her for a special purpose. So there's this grace that is given to Mary. She's been favored. She's been chosen by God. Which you're, if you're a Christian, you've been chosen by God. You've been given favor. You've been given grace if you are a Christian. And here's what we see in verse 31. And behold. It's like, just, just behold this. And, and as I get ready to read this, I know we're kind of like, oh yeah, this is that birth story angel and virgin. Oh yeah, all that stuff. Don't listen to it like that. Don't read it like that. Read it with what? Think about how she would have heard these next words. The angel has to say, behold. Like, like get ready, buckle up. You're not gonna believe this. It's gonna shock you. You're probably gonna faint. I'm here to catch you. But here's what I'm gonna tell you. He says this, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Yeah, amen, right? Hold on, you're, you're going to conceive in your womb and you're gonna bear a son, you're gonna name him Jesus. Jesus, that, that Old Testament name, Joshua, which means like savior, the one who's gonna save. Jesus, the one who's gonna save. But 
She's a virgin. So somehow this little virgin girl is going to give birth to a son and his name is going to be Jesus. She's trying to process this and the angel begins to tell us who Jesus is. So what we're going to do is just behold and wonder at who Jesus is for a moment. Notice in verse 32, he will be great and will be called son of the most high. That this baby is going to be called great and he's going to be the son of the most high. Now think about how true that actually came. That Jesus would be called great. We are a group of people that showed up on a Sunday morning, most of our days off of work, we came here to sing songs to a guy named Jesus, who we believe is God. I mean, he's great. That was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, girl living in a gas station town with nothing going on, God shows up and says, you're going to have a baby, and the whole world's going to worship him. He's going to be great. 2,000 years later, people are going to join together and sing praises to his name. Why? Because he's the son of the most high. He's going to be a baby, but he's not just any baby. He is the son of the most high God. And notice what he goes on and says, And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So this baby, whose name's Jesus, the one who saves, he's going to be great. He's going to be the son of the most high. And also, he's going to have a throne. It's the throne of David, that promised throne all throughout the Old Testament. And when he sits on that throne, nobody's coming after him. He doesn't have a son that succeeds him. He is the final king. He is the forever king who is going to reign forever over the house of Jacob, which is code for God's people. He's going to rule forever over God's people. That's who the baby in your womb is, and that is who he is going to be. So just take a little moment and just wonder at, at, at Jesus, who he is. He's God, king, ruler. He's great. He's the son of the most high. He's born of a virgin, which makes him like us, but also unlike us, as we're going to see in just a moment. He can be the mediator, the bridges of the gap between God and man. Like We just need to take a moment and just, just wonder about this and also wonder what it means. Because if Jesus is the forever king, that has implications for your life. See, a lot of people around this time, there's articles that come out, there's blog posts that comes out, there's documentaries on Netflix showing how Mary, that Jesus really wasn't born of a virgin. There's kind of this myth, there's kind of this story that sort of Christians kind of made that up. And, and I think one of the reasons that people are so panicked over this idea of a virgin birth, well, I'll just let... Um, N.T. Wright, give his comments. He says this, Perhaps some of the fuss and bother about whether Mary could have, been con- could have conceived Jesus without a human father is because deep down, we don't want to think that there might be a king who could claim this sort of absolute allegiance. See, we want to kind of dismiss that whole virgin birth thing. Because if it's true, it has implications on our lives. That if, if the virgin birth is true, if Jesus is God who became a man and he's the forever king over the forever universe, guess what that means for you and I? We have one option and that is to follow and worship him. Like the only response is obedience. 
So if we don't want to obey Jesus as king of the universe, then we have to explain away why the virgin birth may or may not have really happened. So that way Jesus is just a good guy giving good morals and good thoughts and we can either follow him or not. It doesn't really matter. It's whatever you want to do is great for you. I'll do whatever's great for me. But if Jesus is God who became a man and says, repent and follow me, we have no other choice than to do so. We have to follow because he is the king of the universe who's going to rule over the universe forever. And that is exactly who Jesus is. Now, Mary asked the obvious question, um, okay, how is this going to work? Because we've seen several times Mary is a virgin. And so Mary's putting it together that um, this is not going to be a honeymoon baby, but Joseph's going to be out of the picture. And so she says in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? So I get what you're saying to me. This is not going to happen with Joseph. This is going to happen apart from Joseph. There's going to be no dad. It's only going to be me. And if it's only me, how can I have a baby? And we think about this is like, you know, first century people, they didn't know quite as much that we know about like reproductive technologies, but Mary knows that to have a baby, it takes a mom and a dad. You have to have both those things. And uh, I don't have dad yet. Like me and Joseph, we're not married yet. I'm still a virgin. So how's this going to happen? And like like we, um, we have all this like reproductive technology. So we've got all these different ways to sort of mix and match. But if you see a human baby, no matter how it got here, you can know for sure two things are true. That baby has a dad and a mom. Always, in every case. You're like, well, I don't see. Well, it has a mom and a dad because that's how all human beings get here. Every human has a mom and a dad. That's how biology works. That's how God made it to work. Now we're going to find Jesus has no earthly dad, which is going to make him like us, but also uniquely different from us. This is what we marvel as the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So we're going to get the wonder explained. The angels are going to explain to her how this is going to happen. Now, we would probably want like more details, maybe like a science manual. Okay, exactly how is the egg going to get fertilized and exactly, and we don't get a scientific explanation, but we see that bottom line, this is not going to be human effort. It's going to be divine action. That's what we see in the virgin birth. This is not human effort. Don't go get Joseph. Don't try what Abraham and Sarah, don't go get Hagar. No, you don't need anybody else. This is something that God is going to do to you. Notice what we see in the text, verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So we see she's asking, okay, how if I'm a virgin? And he says, well, it's going to be the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be the Most High, who we think, you know, I think that's God the Father. So Holy Spirit, God the Father, this is going to be a miracle that happens to you. This is going to be a divine intervention, a supernatural conception. 
So we see is this, this language of the Holy Spirit will, 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 will come upon you. You can think about back in Genesis, the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of creation, bringing chaos into order. We see this idea of the Most High will overshadow you. It's sort of that language of the Shekinah glory cloud came over the temple. God's presence was there. So in some way, the presence of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are going to get pregnant. And there's not going to be an earthly dad because God is going to be his father. So we get this this doctrine of the incarnation, that God became a man. It reminds us of John, where John would say the word, so the word existed um, with God, the word is God, forever God, created the world. So the the word was with God and the word was God. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who is the eternal word, became a man in the womb of Mary. That God became who he hadn't always been, a man to what? Save us. So we find is through, now this is really important because Jesus, he comes out of a womb, not out of a burning bush. And that's really important. Jesus didn't appear out of a burning bush just walking and talking as an adult. And so it's like, well, he looks like a dude. He looks human, but clearly he's not because he just walked out of a burning bush. So it'd be like an appearance of a man walking among us, but not really a man like you and me. That's not how Jesus got here. Jesus didn't walk out of a burning bush. He came out of a womb just like you which means he is just like you. He had his mama DNA. He would have his mama skin color. He would, have had, he would have been a Jewish boy from the line of David. He is human, just like we are human, fully human. But he had no earthly dad, which means at the same time, he is also fully God. Fully man and fully God. That's what we embrace as the church. That's what we embrace as our only hope for redemption, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, because if he is not, he can't be our mediator. But because he's fully God and fully man, he can be our mediator. He can represent us because he's like us, and he can represent God because he's not, he is also unlike us, meaning he is divine. So he can go between God and man to mediate perfect for us. He can bring us back to God the Father because he is both God and man. So we see this perfect mediation. And I want to just let some of our church fathers put some definition to this idea of who Jesus is because of the virgin birth. We have the church council of Nicaea at 325. They put together just statements about who Jesus is. And I just want to read what, so there's a lot of heresies. Who is Jesus? Is he this? Is he this? Is he like God, but not God? Is he like human, but not human? So they put words so that we could speak about who Jesus is. Notice what it says. And they're saying, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. Listen to this. God of God, light of light, very God of very God. That They're trying to really make the point that Jesus, because of the virgin birth, he's God. 
Very God from very God. Light from very light. Notice, begotten, not made, being of one substance. And then I put the little Greek words uh, so you can see those. It's homoousios versus homoousios. So they had kind of two um, options on what they could put for one substance. So the first option is homoousios, which means exactly like, like same substance. Or they could pick homoousios, see the little I in the middle? That means of like substance. Like he's kind of like God, but he's also not God. He just resembles God. So this is what the early church fathers debated over. And they said, well, it can't be homoousios. He's not like God. He is God. The exact nature which Hebrews proclaims and the Bible proclaims. So they chose homoousios, which means he is the exact same nature and substance. He is fully God. And that's what we believe as Christians, that he is fully God with the Father by whom all things were made. So just in case you're not clear, all things were made by Jesus. Jesus is not a created thing. He made all created things. Well, why did he then come into this world through a virgin's womb? Why would God do that? Why would God become a man? Notice what they say. Who, for us men for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. See, Jesus, hey, Mary, I know you're a virgin. You're going to give birth to a little boy, and you're going to name him Jesus, and he's going to be like you. He's going to be human, but he's going to be unlike you. He is also going to be God. 100% human, 100% divine. He is the God-man who is our perfect mediator, who can actually accomplish redemption for us. He can die our death because he's man. He can bring us back to God because he's God. He is our perfect mediator, our perfect salvation. Why would God assume a womb? To come on a rescue mission for us. That's why. That's the good news of the gospel. So let's just keep just wonder all throughout this text. Notice in verse 36, we have the wonder of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and in the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. So we have the wonder of God. Well, how can this be? Well, nothing's impossible with God. This is a divine thing. This is a God thing. And we should be able this week to just wonder a little bit that the truth is nothing is impossible with God. See, God can take a barren womb and bring life. He can bring a virgin womb and bring birth. You know what he can also do? He can take a dead heart and give it new birth by believing in Christ. Like nothing's impossible with God. So some of you are thinking, yeah, but you don't know me, you don't know my sin, you don't know my past. I don't, but God does, and nothing is impossible with God. You are not too far gone. You are not too far away. God can redeem you through the cross of Christ because nothing is impossible with God. So just wonder at that. Be that, that, that mingleness of excitement and adoration of just, God, God can do all things. And he can actually save my soul. We see Mary's wonderful response. 
Notice this in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed. What a great response. And some of us are like, well, of course you would say that if, if God wants to do this through you. But think about Mary. She's actually kind of giving up some of her life. Like Mary's planning a wedding. She's got dreams of kids, but with Joseph, not apart from Joseph. And by the way, when Joseph finds out, he wants to divorce her in Matthew's account. And the angel has to show up to Joseph and be like, hold on, chill out. This is what's really happening. Think about her reputation. She's going to the well to draw water as an unmarried woman who's pregnant. That doesn't bode well in first century. So her reputation is tarnished. Her future is tarnished. Like she has no control over her future. She is going to now bear Jesus, and it's going to change her whole life. And she says, let it be so. Whatever you want for me, God, I'll do. And that's just a great Christian response to God's word. When we hear God's word, what do we do? Let it be so. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to change my life. It's not going to be my way. It's going to be your way. But let it be so. She just heard all of the promise of the Old Testament are going to find their yes and amen through the baby in your womb. And she says, yes. Let it be so. I am your servant. And then we see Elizabeth's wonder in verses 39 through 45. When Mary shows up, baby John in her womb leaps for joy. And Elizabeth puts it together that this is my Lord in your womb. She just wonders at what's happening. We see Mary's song of wonder. I encourage you to read that when you get home, 46 through 55. I love when she says, he who is mighty has done a great thing. Like God's mighty and he's done a great thing in my life and holy is his name. So she responds in worship. Then we get the town's wonder in verses 57 through 66. When John is born, the town says, what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord is on him? Like, like who's this kid going to be? And the answer is he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, that the handler is on him. He's going to be the one that points people to Jesus. And then we see, lastly, Zechariah's prophetic wonder, that Zechariah starts prophesying about his boy John and what John is going to let the world know about Jesus. And we'll pick it up in verse 77. Here's what it says. John's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So my boy John, he's going to give knowledge of salvation and forgiveness based on what? The tender mercy of God. How's John going to do this? He's going to point people to Jesus. He's going to point me to the Savior. He's going to show them the sunrise. Those living in darkness, those who are in the shadow of death, they're going to see the tender mercy of God through the person of Christ, and they're going to respond to the gospel. And I just want to ask, in a room like this, there are perhaps some of you that are still in darkness. You are still in the shadow of death. Even in Christmas season, you're living in darkness. You're in the shadow of death. You are apart from God. And just listen to what Zacharias says. That Jesus came to show us the tender mercy of God. I love that line, the tender mercy of God. If you're a sinner, cling to Christ, and you know what you'll experience? The tender mercy of God. Not judgment, not ridicule. You know what you'll experience from God? His tender mercy, because that's why Christ came. 
He assumed a virgin's womb and was born into our sin-cursed world to break your curse and to bring you back to God. It was his tender mercy that brings you out of darkness and out of the shadow of death. Like he's here to redeem you. And what we should do is just be in wonder just to be in, in awe. So as we think about this whole chapter kind of put together, what our goal should be is this week to make it a week of wonder. Like, I don't know which camp you're in. I don't know if you love Christmas, hate Christmas, or tolerate Christmas. We're not talking about some celebration that you're going to grandma's house. We're talking about a week that we're setting aside to think and wonder and marvel at the birth of Jesus Christ. So this week, what we want to do is to pursue wonder this week over Christ, what he did, and who he is. So five things quickly in pursuing a week of wonder. Wonder at this first, that God became a man. Like actually spend some time marveling and beholding and processing that reality, that God became a man. That is shocking, that should have you terrified and also excited and thankful that God became a man. And the second thing is, why did God become a man? Because Jesus came to redeem you from your sins. Like that's what Christmas is about. God became a man to redeem you from your sins. So behold that this week. Just hold that in wonder this week. Go all week long thinking, God, how is it true? How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? How is that true? I was a sinner. I was wretched. I was rebellious. I was running. But Jesus, you came and assumed a womb and then a tomb to save me from my sins? That should cause wonder in your life this week. Excitement and admiration and worship. And then number three, this, this idea that nothing is impossible with God. And that includes saving you. That includes saving your friend, your grandma, your coworker, whoever it is that you know. That includes that, that nothing is impossible with God. So just hold that in wonder this week. That whatever you're going through, whatever you're praying for, whatever that thing that you just don't think can happen, nothing is impossible for God. So believe. And then fourth, Jesus is the forever king. I mean, actually wonder in that a little bit, that he rules over you, that he has demands over your life, that your life should be spent in allegiance to him, walking with him, following him, making much of him. He's the forever king, and he's your king right now if you are a believer. And then last, as you go through this week, I want you just to wonder over Mary's response and ask, how can you respond the same way? This idea that whatever God's word comes to you, whatever God is calling to you this week, whatever God puts on your heart this week, that your answer would be, I'm your servant. Let it be so. Whatever you want. Because if you're a believer, you've also been favored, just like Mary. You've been chosen, you've been graced, and now you have a purpose. You have a something to do from the Lord. So your response, just like Mary, upon God's word is, I am your servant, let it be so. Though it be hard, though I not want to, let it be so because I love you. Let that be this week. Let us have a week, not of normal Christmas things. 
not of normal Christmas celebrations. Let us have a whole week of just wonder where every day we can't get over the fact that God became a man to take care of our sins so that we could live with him forever. Let us this week pursue a week of wonder because who Christ is. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that this week we would simply do that. God, I pray if there's any that are in darkness, that are under the shadow of death right now, that they would see the incarnation is about them. That you came to save them from their sins so they could have life in you. So let them repent and believe this week. God, for those of us who know you, let us go throughout this whole week just in wonder of the incarnation. That Christ became a man to save us from our sins. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.